All right, look with me, if you will, please. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 18 and read through verse 21 this evening. And Lord willing, we will be concluding our study of this first epistle of John tonight. And so we've been here for uh, many months, and we're looking to conclude this. It's interesting that we finished Ephesians on Sunday, we're finishing 1 John tonight, and then we move on, move forward. And so uh, we'll read verses 18 through 21 together this evening. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Last week we examined verse 18 specifically um, of of this final portion of, of Scripture in which John is concluding this epistle. And John declared in verse 18 that those who are born of God do not continue to practice sin. We've read this again even this evening, but verse 18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. In other words, as John has so clearly declared throughout this epistle, although one may claim to be in fellowship with God, one's life will bear the evidence of Christ living within when one is in genuine fellowship with God. And so he's saying again, when one is born of God, he does not practice sin. He does not continue in sin. He's not living a life of lawlessness, as we saw from chapter 3, if you recall. Because in chapter 3, in, the, in our study of First John, we saw where... Uh, the scripture refers to that of, of he lives in righteousness. We'll review this in a few moments uh, as we progress in our study this evening. But there are those who live in righteousness and those who live in wickedness. And, of course, uh, he that commits sin transgresseth the law. And it's talking about a, a continual practice of lawlessness is what's being referenced. So, again, this has nothing to do with a believer who... It, it has nothing to... It, John is not saying, neither has anything to do with a belief that a believer cannot sin, or meaning cannot commit a sin, cannot, uh, uh, cannot do that which is, is outside of God's, uh, God's righteousness. Because of course we can, and we do, and we know that. So what John is talking about here, the wording and verbiage that is used, it means that one who's born again cannot continue to practice lawlessness. And lawlessness here would be actually unrighteousness. That is in contrast to righteousness. And so that's what John is referencing here. In chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, we read, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And again, interesting note here, when he says that he that doeth righteousness is righteous, John is not, again, he's not implying that we do righteousness to become righteous. He's saying one who is righteous practices righteousness, even as he, as Jesus, is righteous. Meaning, again, not that our righteousness is ever equal or equivalent to his righteousness. It's that our righteousness is his righteousness. His righteousness is our righteousness. So we do righteousness and we are righteous even as he is righteous because he is our righteousness. That's what John is saying here. And then he goes on to say, verse 8 of chapter 3, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So wickedness, obviously, from these statements John makes, wickedness will flow from the life of the wicked, while righteousness will flow from the life of the one who is righteous. 
And once again, this truth is not saying that men are wicked because the wickedness they do, but that wickedness is the result of the wicked condition of mankind. In like manner, men are not righteous because they attempt to produce righteousness, but righteousness is the result of Christ and his righteousness within an individual. So the righteousness of Christ is within us. He is righteous. He is the righteousness of God. And therefore, our lives are, are, are uh, resulting in righteousness being uh, brought forth or coming forth from us because the righteousness of Jesus within us is producing his righteousness in and through us. And so that's what John is stating. Within John's closing remarks of this epistle, we discover further affirmation that one is in genuine fellowship with God and the confidence with which authentic fellowship produces within one who is in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 18 through 20 again with me. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we, that, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John stated again in verse 18, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Within the statement in verse 18, John is saying that based on all of the evidence he has provided, one can unequivocally understand that one who is born again cannot continue in a lifestyle of sin or live a life of sin. In verse 19, notice what John further declared. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. The same statement, we know, is used by John to declare that those who have been born again have been provided all the evidence which is necessary to understand that they are in a relationship and are in continual fellowship with God. And this knowledge or this confidence is based on the evidence, again, that John has provided within this epistle as described by the many tests which John lists within this epistle. Within this epistle, or the study of this epistle, I've labeled these eight tests as follows, and we're concluding this tonight, so just a quick review of this. The obedience test, chapter 2, 3 through 6. The love test, chapter 2, 7 through 14. The life test, chapter 2, 15 through 17. The truth test, chapter 2, 18 through 24. The righteousness test, chapter 2, 25 through 29. The sanctification test, chapter 3, 1 through 10. The discernment test, chapter 4, 1 through 6. And the fear test, or perfect love, in chapter 4, 15 through 18. So we see here within these tests, John is given everything necessary in providing all of the tests and all the evidence and proof from these tests that one is either in fellowship with God or is not. And I said to you as we began early on in this epistle, and especially as we were coming close to entering into our study of chapter 5, I told you that chapter 5 is a summarization of the entirety of the epistle. Again, as one would conclude a, 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 a letter or a paper that they might be writing, and they would do so uh, first maybe stating, especially if it's instructional in its nature or it's informative in its nature, there may be a thesis statement made at the beginning, and then they conclude the letter or the paper or what have you, so somewhat restating the thesis as the thesis has been declared throughout the entirety of the, of the body of the letter or the, of, or the paper, if you will, if it's an academic type paper. And so what we understand is John's done the same thing in this epistle. It's a letter that he has written, and in writing the letter, he states his thesis again in the first chapter when he says, Our desire is that you have fellowship 
with, with us and our fellowship is with God and with His Son, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then John goes on to say, I've written these things unto you that your joy might be full. Remember? Or I write, I, 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 I write these things unto you that your joy might be full. But then in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, these things have I written unto you that, that uh, you may believe on the Son of God, and you might know that you have eternal life. And so what John is stating is, I've written these things unto you, I'm writing this unto you, and then he concludes with, I have written these things unto you, and now he's summarizing what he's written. And so we see that in this fifth chapter, verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. If we read verse 19 within its intended context, we discover that John reiterates this truth of the clear evidence within the life of those who are born again and those who are not, those who are of God and those who are not of God. As we've discovered throughout our study of the epistle, the tests provided by John differentiate between those who may claim to have fellowship with God and those who have authentic fellowship with the Lord. John writes in no uncertain terms, leaving absolutely no room for confusion concerning authentic fellowship with God. And we see language demonstrated throughout this epistle. And I want to again review quickly these truths which are being summarized here in chapter 5. Because John goes, to, it's not, we're not going to look at all of them tonight again, but we're going to review them briefly because it's important we recognize that John is saying in concluding his letter that all the evidence necessary for you to understand that you are in an authentic relationship and authentic fellowship with God has been provided in this letter. I have listed everything necessary for you to know. And again, to know not meaning to just be confident, though that as well would be implied, I believe, but yet it's saying that we might see and we might have an understanding due to the information that has been provided. Listen again, this is so important. Our faith rests. Our faith is in Christ. Our faith, our faith rests in the Word of God and its truth as it is declared. In other words, we trust and believe Christ, but how do we even know of Christ? By His Word. How do we know the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding to the revealed Jesus who is in His Word? And so our faith rests in the truth of God's Word. And so John is saying here, again, that, that the importance is that we recognize that, that everything necessary for us to understand that we are in this genuine relationship and fellowship with God is provided in this information that he has given in this epistle, in the Word of God. Now, in understanding that, we know that it's not that, that we simply uh, go through a checklist and say, oh yeah, I'm a believer. No, it's the Spirit of God that produces these results within our lives. And that's what John is saying. If you're in fellowship, then you have the Spirit. He even mentions that, right? He tells us that. So it's the Spirit of God within us that makes all of this real in us. We are not producing this. He is producing it in us. And if the evidence is there, here's the information John says, Check and see if this, if this is true of you. And if this is true, then guess what? You are in relationship with God. And if this is not true in you, then you're not in a relationship with God, no matter what you claim. In fact, John goes as, as far as to say in, in, in strong statements, saying, if a man says this and yet this is not true, then he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. He's saying, you're a liar. If you make these claims, then these evidences are not a reality in your life. 
John provides several examples of claims followed by actions which then provide the evidence of the truth of such of error or error of such claims that are being made. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, let's, let's read these. I'm going to read several verses here of, of, from 1 John so that we can kind of, again, understand what John is saying as he concludes this letter. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, If we say, notice there, there it is, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. So wait, here it is. If we say this and yet the action of our lives is contrary to what we claim, if we say we're in fellowship with God and yet we are actually walking in darkness, notice what he says. We lie and do not the truth. But, notice the contrast, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So he's saying, okay, now you better try to walk in light because if you walk in light, then you're going to have salvation. No. He's saying if you claim to be in fellowship with God and yet you walk in darkness, you're a liar and you do not the truth. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, if you walk in his truth as he is true, then we have fellowship with each other and we know that the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin. He goes on in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if a man stands up and says, oh, I don't sin, I've never sinned, I don't sin. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Are you seeing what John is saying? If we say this, and yet this is the result, or this is the reality, then this, what you say is not true. Or if you say this, and this is the reality, then this is true. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence. And notice, not one time in any of this, nor will he ever do it in any of this epistle, bring up how you feel about something. And neither will he talk about your experiences. All of that is a moot point. He is simply saying, here's the information. You want to know that you're in fellowship with God? Here's all the information that's necessary for you to know that. This is not, these are tests. These are not instructions on how to become a child of God. This is the test revealing whether or not you are a child of God. Whether or not you are in fellowship with Him. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And hereby, we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So if we cherish his word, if we cherish his truth, if we follow after him in truth, then we know that we know him. He saith, verse 4, I, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Here it is again. You say, or if we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. But if you say, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, then you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. But, verse 5, whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought all, him also, also t- so to walk, even as he walked. Chapter 2, 9 through 11. He that saith he is in the light, hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. Verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. If you abide in light, you love your brother. Though that's truly what is being said, no doubt that, that that's still a true statement. But yet, notice what he says. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. So now the love that you have for your brother is a result that you are by. That's what he's saying. Here's the evidence of the truth of where you stand with God. 
Verse 11. Or verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. Verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath darkness blinded his eyes. So he's saying if we're walking with God, we're not stumbling about as though we cannot see, as though we have no direction, as though we have no purpose. And part of the evidence of this, of loving for God, love for God present in our lives, is that we love the brethren. But he that is not in this love of God, who does not love the brother, he's in darkness and walking about, stumbling about, and there's all this opportunity and possibility of him not having a foundation and grounding because of the darkness that's about him. He's confused without purpose, without, without having an, an intentional uh, uh, commitment to living, if you will, in truth, that is, because he's in darkness. He has no understanding. And he walketh about because he's blind as the one who stumbles about. Chapter two, fifteen through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Here it is. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That doesn't mean you cannot love life by any means, but of course John here is saying if you love the world, if you love the worldly system, if you're following after the worldly system, then the love of God is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." Let me ask you something. How can you do the will of God? You can't do the will of God for, apart from Christ living in you, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, who is therefore conforming you to the image of Christ, and God's will is being accomplished by that action. Not by what you are doing, by what He is doing in you. So again, John is not saying, okay, attempt, do your best to do the will of God. Again, these are not, these are not elements of instruction provided to us, a list of do's. It's rather a revelation of the truth of what is already present. Chapter 2, verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Again, those who deny do not have the Father, the Son. Those who acknowledge the Son hath the Father. Now, acknowledgement doesn't mean just that, oh, Jesus is Lord, and we make some claim, empty claim. It's that acknowledging has to do with our entire life acknowledging this, not just our mouths confessing this alone. In other words, who is declared? Let me ask you this question so you have clarity here. Who has made Jesus to be Savior? The Father. The Father made him to be Savior. Who has declared Jesus to be Lord? The Father. Who has exalted Jesus above all? The Father. Are you following this? The Father is the one who has done this. The Father is the one who has declared this. So when we read, whosoever denieth the Son, this is not merely saying, okay, uh, someone, oh, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. It's not merely saying, okay, I, yeah, I believe that Jesus came and he died. No, it's acknowledgement with an entire life acknowledgement that Jesus is not only Savior, he's not only Creator, he's not only eternal, he's not only deity, but he is Lord. And an acknowledgement of that. And if one acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not only in word, but in their lives, that's only because the Father hath revealed this to him through salvation. Remember when you look at the account in the Gospels where 
Peter is asked by the Lord, or the disciples are asked by the Lord, and Peter speaks up, but the, the Lord Jesus asked and said, Who do men say that I am? And you remember the reply? Oh, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elias, Elijah, the prophet. And then he says to Peter, or to them, to the disciples, he says, Who do ye say? Who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? Thou art the Christ. You're the Son of God. And what did the Lord respond to Peter and say? Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. But my Father which is in heaven hath revealed this unto you. The point is this. One who acknowledges the Son, Peter acknowledged the Lord Jesus to be who he said he was and who the Father declared him to be because God the Father had opened the eyes of Peter to see this truth. While the world said, oh, he's a great prophet. While the religious leaders said, oh, he, he's, he surely is a good teacher. And while, the, while even those who did not believe in him to be as he or who he is, they still said, oh, he's, he's Elijah. Or, or he is Elijah, or he is John the Baptist. In other words, he's a great teacher, he's a great prophet, he is sent by God. But Peter says, no, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You're not Elijah, and you're not John the Baptist. You are the Messiah. Because thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. God revealed that to him. The Father revealed Jesus himself says, flesh and blood didn't, didn't explain this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven hath revealed this to you. And so, acknowledging the Son hath the Father also. Not meaning if you say Jesus is Lord, oh, then you're, you have the Father, you're with Him. No. For you to see Jesus, who God declared Him to be, and who Jesus Himself claimed to be, it's only by the Spirit of God, the Father, who is revealing or illuminating your understanding to the revealed Christ as He is. And those who acknowledge Him in this fashion, of course, they have the Father also, because we have Him. Chapter 229. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Okay, so wait. Look how, look how important this is. Here, and what we need to understand, in the, even in this statement, as in relation to all the other statements John makes, especially concerning the righteousness of Jesus, we need to recognize what he says here. If ye know that he is righteous. So if we know, if we understand, if we see by everything provided to us and have an understanding and even a confidence that Jesus is righteous, which he is, then he says then ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, this is an interesting statement because what John is saying is, listen, your righteousness does not hinge or depend on you at all. If one does righteousness, it's because they are born of God because Christ is righteous and it is the righteousness of Jesus in and through them that is being manifested and revealed in and through their lives. So John is here saying not do righteousness, righteously he's saying no those who do righteousness are born of god because christ himself is righteous he is the very righteousness of god chapter 3 6 through 10 whosoever abideth in him sinneth not whosoever sinneth hath not seen him neither known him little children let no man deceive you he that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose the son of god was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So notice what he says here. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. So if we are abiding in Christ, we do not sin, meaning practice sin. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So he who practices sin 
does not know God, does not know Jesus, and has not seen him. He's not seen him for who he is. Because we think of seen him, of course there's people who had seen Jesus, but that doesn't mean they were following after him. Then he says, he that doeth righteousness, righteous even as he is righteous. Again, pointing to this truth that I just mentioned a moment ago. The righteousness which is being demonstrated is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. We are righteous even as he is righteous because he is righteous in us. That's the whole point. This is not a foreign righteousness to Jesus or an additional righteousness to Jesus. This righteousness is Jesus. Therefore, righteousness comes from us because he who lives in us is righteous. Then he that committed the sin of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Again, does not practice sin or live lawlessness. Doeth not righteousness is not of God. Look how clear this is. I mean, this is just so cut and dry. This is not saying, oh, oh, by the way, if, if, you, if you ever sin, then that means you're not born again. No, of course not. Because John's already said, if a man say he doesn't sin, or he hath not sinned, or does not sin, then he's a liar and the truth is not in him. We confess. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know it's not saying that we cannot commit a sin, an act of sin. He's talking about committing sin and practicing lawlessness. And if one practices lawlessness, which is unrighteousness, then no matter what their claim may be, they are of the devil, not of God. They are not born again. Truth of the matter is, we have all sinned. Today, have we not? And that's not demonstrating the righteousness of Christ at all. But here's the difference. Those who know Him do not continue in sin. Practice unrighteousness. Do not live such a life. And that's what John is making very clear here. Chapter 3, 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now John's saying, okay, hatred is equal to murder in this, in this context. And he's saying, we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, he's not saying, we know we've passed unto death. Not we have, but we know we have because we love the brethren. Now, we didn't pass from death to life because we love brethren. We know that we've passed from death to life. We understand that we have gone from death unto life because we do love the brethren. And he that does not live in life, but rather dwells in death, hates his brother. And hating your brother is murder in your own heart. And there is no murder. That's why I say to you, you need to, you need to listen closely here. This is a very strong statement made by John. And, and it's true throughout Scripture. In the Gospels, you see this as well. A believer in Jesus Christ is not capable of harboring hatred for his brother. You may not like someone. You may not like what someone does. That's different than hatred. You may not like the way someone is. That's different than hatred. Hatred is murder. That's what Jesus says. And if you think about it, how true is that? Because when people are so overcome by hatred within themselves, they would love to get rid of whoever that hatred is focused on, whether they do it or not. And so here, here Jesus is saying, or John is telling us, that if he hates his brother, then the love of the Father is not in him. He's a murderer. And murder hath eternal life abiding in him. I mean, think of it like this for a moment. And look how perfect, how much sense this makes in a perfect manner. 
eternal life he hath not or hath he, he does not have eternal life abiding in him he is saying so who is eternal life we've already come to this conclusion throughout the text who is eternal life to have the son is to have life as life he who hath not the son hath not life remember so we have the son of god dwelling in us he is life and he is life eternal now let's consider this eternal life how can one hate his brother and have eternal life jesus dwelling in him he can't why is that so let's look at who jesus himself is you remember on the cross, they mocked Christ, they, they, they scourged him before the cross, going to the cross. They, they abused him tremendously, did they not? And they hated him without question. And yet, as a sheep before, shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Is that not true? So he does not even open his mouth, as Isaiah prophesied. And so we understand that Christ willingly laid his life down while all this hatred is poured upon him. The very wrath of God is being executed upon him. And yet, in his death and in all of this hatred that's being lashed upon him, he is actually providing the necessary sacrifice for the redemption of the very ones who hated him so much. So how can one have... Jesus dwelling in them and yet have hatred abiding in them at the same time. That's the argument John's making. Chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the Spirit, know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Here John, of course, is saying that we are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He's saying those who genuinely know God, who are in fellowship with God, in relationship with God, they hear what we are saying. Not meaning they just hear our voice audibly, but rather he's saying that they understand what we are saying and they receive it. But those who refuse, they refuse because they do not know God. They cannot receive the truth of God when they do not know God though they may claim to know him. And we're speaking of the sense of the teaching of God's truth is what we're talking about. Of course, man does not know God when he is born again, but God reveals himself to man, obviously. But yet I'm saying that John is saying, he who hears us, John is talking to believers here, and he's saying, here's the test. And there's some, obviously, who read this who are not believers, but yet he's saying, here's the genuine test of fellowship with God. And the reality is, if you hear us, if you understand us, and you're receiving, that's evidence that you are a child of God. But those who reject such teaching are not of God at all. Chapter 4, verse 18 and 20, through 20. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? So again, he's saying, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you fear judgment is what's being referenced here. Perfect love casteth out fear. Again, we, do not, we are not, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are not scared of God the Father. We reverence Him, but we are not scared of Him. And we don't have to be scared of Him because we are confident in Christ. Again, my view of God is as my father, not as my judge. But the unbeliever's view of God is as his judge, not his father. And a judge 
is not obligated in any way, fashion, form to demonstrate or show any love, mercy, or compassion towards the one he judges. But a father loves his own. As we see from this review of these passages within John's epistle, John made clear distinctions between those who claim to have fellowship and those who are in authentic fellowship with God. In other words, John is once again making a clear distinction between those who know God and those who do not. And it's all based on the evidence that's been, evidence that's been presented. Those who are of God are delivered and protected from the power of wickedness, while those who are not of God, those who are not born again, remain under the power of wickedness. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. How many times have I mentioned this word, understand? He's given us an understanding that so that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. So that we might know he that is true and we might know that we are in the one who is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. This verse explains further the truth of how we know, as John has previously stated in verses 13, 18, and 19 of this chapter. Chapter 5, 13, these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may understand, that you may see from all the information provided, you may understand that you are a possessor of eternal life, which means you are a possessor of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. We know that whosoever is born of God. We understand that those who are born of God do not practice and continue in sin. Chapter 5, 19. And we know, we understand that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. How do we know or see or have an understanding concerning all these matters of which John has written? Verse 20 explains it. And we know that the Son of God is come, we understand the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. The only way we know or understand any of these truths concerning our relationship and fellowship with God is, and that it's authentic is that Jesus was sent and through Him we are given understanding that we might know or see that He is true we are in Him. And this understanding of the true God and our relationship with Him through His Son is eternal life. Eternal life is not based on, again, a feeling we have or any experience that we have or an emotion that we possess. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? That God has sent His Son and His Son has provided us the understanding that we might therefore know that we are in Him and that we are in the true God. In Him that is true. Then verse 21. John says, little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now this verse may seem somewhat out of place, but actually it's not at all. John has just spoken. Notice what he's just said. John has just spoken of how God has given us understanding. What is the understanding he's given us specifically in the previous verse? That we are in Christ, but specifically he uses a word more than once in that verse. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us understanding that we know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. How is this not out of place? It's not out of place because 
He just said, we understand by God providing His Son and all the information that has been provided throughout this epistle, we understand that we are in authentic fellowship. We are in true fellowship. We are in true relationship with the true God who sent His true Son and we are in Him that is true. And then he says, keep yourselves from idols. Why would he say that? He just spent all of this time telling us what is true. (laughs) And idols are false. (laughs) And so he's saying, here's what is true. This is the true God. This is the true Jesus. This is true eternal life. You are truly in him and you truly understand you are in him. So why would you turn to idols? Why would you be distracted by that which is false? This understanding of the true God and our continued fellowship with Him should be more than enough to keep us from idols or false gods made from the wicked imaginations of men. It is believed that John wrote this epistle from Ephesus late in the first century. And Ephesus was known for its idols or for its false gods. And therefore it would have been commonplace for those who would read this letter to be in daily contact with idols or those who worship such idols. In Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 28, we read, At the same time, there arose no small stir about that way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, do you know that by this craft we have our wealth? Moreover, you see and hear, and that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying they be, that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. If John is writing this from Ephesus, here you have a testimony of one of the creators of the false gods and idols, who is saying, look, our craft is at stake. This is how we make our money. And this Paul is going around telling people, there's no God that's made with men's hands. There's only one true God. What is John just talking to us about? The true God in whom we have true fellowship because he sent his true son to give us true eternal life. (laughs) And now he's saying, and yet these people are surrounded by all these false gods, all these distractions all about them because of what's taking place in Ephesus and the world for that matter. So we've been brought into a relationship and continued fellowship with the true God. And it is important that we recognize all the dead religions surrounding us, that we not allow such wickedness to distract us from the true fellowship that we have with the true God and our adoration and worship of the true God, who is our Father and whose Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior, our brother, and our friend. Don't turn to idols. Don't turn to that which is false. When you have all the evidence of the genuineness of your true relationship with the true God. So John concludes his epistle as such. This first epistle. And I believe in a very fitting manner that those his reader are aware 1 John provides for us definitive, bold, distinctive clarification of one's profession 
of relationship and fellowship with God. You cannot go through this study of this book without knowing. Whether you're under conviction or whether you're not, whether you are, are, are a believer or whether not, you cannot go through this book without realizing either you are in fellowship with God or you are not in fellowship with God. Because it's not one thing. Again, how many times have you heard this? Well, you ever asked Jesus in your heart? And that type of mentality, right? Do you, did you really believe whenever you asked Jesus in your heart? Were you very sincere about that? Uh, what happened? Did you confess all your sins? Did you, and all of these, these singular acts that are questioned concerning whether one is genuinely born again. Oh, here's the proof. Here's the evidence that you know that you're in relationship with God. And John is saying, no, absolutely not. There are, uh, there's a plethora of evidence that is provided, and it's all of these together that are the proof of the authenticity of your professed relationship and your professed fellowship with God, with His Son, and with His church. And there you have it. John again speaks in no uncertain terms, does he? Everything's absolute here when he makes these statements. And these, by the way, are definitely a provision in which we can look at others' claims and say, okay, yeah, there's no evidence here at all of what they claim based upon what the Scriptures teach us about one who is of God. But let me just be clear about this, that we have understanding. John has written this in a manner in which we are to examine our own profession concerning our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, I believe we can see with some clarity those who make professions that are absolutely empty. You can. But this is that which we are to examine our profession by to see if the evidence and the proof is present in our own lives of a claim that we may make. And here's the reality of it. Here, I'm finished. The evidence is clear in your life. It's clear whether or not you're in fellowship and relationship with God, with His Son, and with his church.